0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Well, good morning and welcome to Reliance. We're so glad that you've joined us. And so I want to dive straight in this morning. And so I want to take a little trip on an imagination train. So if you can, just get a little imagination worked up. We're going to be a little creative this morning. And, and so I, I want you to picture this scenario with me. Let's say that, that you and I... Are workers in an apple orchard. And so as we work uh, one year, we come across a section of the apple orchard where the trees, they just they look unhealthy. They look terrible. And the apples that we see on those trees, they, they look unhealthy. They we pick a few off, we, we try a few, and they taste terrible. And so, as good hard-working, you know, apple orchard workers, we want to do something about these terrible-looking and tasting apples. And so what we decide to do in our brilliance, right, is to pick off every bad apple. And what we'll do is we'll just toss them out and, and we'll go on and, and probably that'll take care of the issue. And so we go about doing this and it takes us several days and, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. Like we pat ourselves on the back thinking, hey, we're good apple orchard workers. We've done a good deed here. And so a year goes by and we come back to that same place in the orchard, that same section and guess what? We find terrible looking apples again. And so we think to ourselves, well, maybe, maybe we just pick them off again and, and that'll take care of the issue. And so we do just that. We, there's bad apples, we pick them off, we toss them out, and again we come back the third year. Same deal. Bad apples. Fourth year, bad apples. And so this becomes our scenario where every year there's bad apples, we pick them off, we toss them out, and we repeat. Bad apples, pick them off, toss them out repeat and so one year we just reached that place of desperation we're tired of picking off those apples and seeing no good fruit and so we ask ourselves this question why aren't these trees producing good apples now why would you assume that those apples are terrible year after year after year Yeah, it's because something is most likely wrong with the roots. You you hear what I'm saying? There's something going on beneath the soil that's producing bad apples. Maybe it's bad soil, maybe it's not enough water, maybe it's a lack of nutrients, or, or whatever the case might be. Well, did you know that spiritually speaking, many Christians struggle with a similar pattern? We occasionally try to pick off the bad fruit in our lives, bad fruit of gossip, or lust, or pride, or jealousy, or anger, or impatience, and the list goes on. You know, because as good Christians, we see that those things aren't healthy, and so we think, I'll just pick them off. And then we hope that somehow the next day or the next week will produce better fruit. And yet week after week, we find ourselves, what, disappointed, frustrated, tired, even ashamed, that for some reason... Healthy fruit is not being produced in our lives. You know, we don't feel more at peace with our coworkers or patient with our kids or we still struggle with lust or pornography or whatever the stronghold, whatever the thing. And so we ask this question this morning, why? Why are we not experiencing good fruit? Why are we not experiencing the freedom that Jesus says is ours or the victory that he says is ours? And I'm just going to tell you my hunch and kind of the premise of where I want to go this morning. I think that most likely because we haven't come to terms with the truth that the fruit being produced is a direct result of the condition of the root. The root being our heart. You understand what I'm saying? Like healthy fruit requires healthy roots. My dad was in the first service, he surprised me. It's their 46th anniversary today, which is awesome, my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, yay for marriage. And um, so anyway, they come and they, they, they show up and I was, I was surprised. But anyway, my dad, he loves to garden. And I mean, when he loves to garden, I mean, hours upon weeks, upon months, years. I mean, he's, he's probably cultivating little seedlings in his, probably in his house right now as I speak. Probably so, and he's, he's you know, petting them, talking to, I don't know. He's, he's like a plant whisperer. I don't know, whatever. But he loves the garden, and so he'll spend, he'll spend weeks cultivating his garden beds and getting ready for, uh, to plant those little seedlings and to make them grow and watch them grow and to help them grow. And me, I've just started gardening, I don't know, a few years ago, me and my wife. She kind of started it usually when some... now I won't go there. But she started it, and I had to take it over, right? So there we go. Another sermon there, but we'll save it for no time. So anyway, I, uh, I don't much like to garden, but I'm trying. And so where my dad will spend weeks cultivating soil, I'll spend 20 minutes, like once. Like, and I'll, I'll get the, get the, the thing from, the, from Lowe's or Home Depot, the little the seed or whatever. I don't even want to do the seed. I want to do an actual plant. Like, give me the plant. I want to see it. And so, you know, I'll go over there and I'll be like, I don't know, this soil looks terrible, but yeah, I'll, I'll dig a hole and so I'll put it in there and I'll be like, oh, it should grow now, right? Well, that's, that's me. And you can only imagine who gets a better, healthier, tastier crop of vegetables. Not this guy, right? It's because my dad has taken the time. I want to ask you a question, and I promise it goes along with what we're talking about. It's a natural question that we tend to ask around this time of year. Around Christmas, and usually we'll go to uh, one of the Gospels, the beginning of the Gospels, and read the birth narrative of Jesus. But it's this question: Why do you think Jesus came to Earth? Why do you think Jesus came to Earth? Was it was it to make us better human beings? Was it simply so that we would live better moral lives, or maybe so we'd cuss a little less or have a little less of a temper? Or was it something deeper? Here's the truth, friends. Jesus didn't simply come for behavior modification. There's so much more to it than that. He came for the roots. You see, he came to free the heart of man, the root of the issue. Without a free heart, peace is only temporary until the next conflict. Joy, it's only temporary until the next difficult circumstance in your life. And peace or patience, it's only temporary until the next detour in your journey, the next unexpected detour that you have, then you lose it, right? That's the fruit being produced out of something in the heart. So true life-altering freedom begins at the root level. It begins in the heart. You want to find freedom from the strongholds of anger, lust, pride, or insecurity, or whatever you feel the stronghold is in your life, and you know that and the Holy Spirit sees it, and, and Jesus sees it, and he's so desperately, just as we sang in that song, you didn't want to see me held a captive. You couldn't stand to see my chains. He knows it, and he wants to free you this morning. But you want to find freedom in those things? It starts at the heart level, and so what you do is you pray for discernment on what is happening in your heart, not just the fruit being produced, but the heart, what's going on with the roots. If you often get angry with your spouse, have you ever thought, Why? My hunch is, most likely, probably, it's something that you're not settled in your own heart. And so it produces a quick temper, produces anger towards your spouse or a loved one or a friend or a coworker. Again, healthy fruit requires healthy roots. Jesus wants to set some men and women free in here today and, and for it to be lasting freedom. It's got to start at the heart level friends. I know I've said that probably 10 times, and I'll say it again another 10 times. So this morning, I'm just going to, I'm going to challenge you. It's going to be a gardening type of morning, right? Not in the green-thumb sort sense of way, but in a heart-root-level sort of way. The gardener is in here. The Holy Spirit is in here, and he wants to tend to some soil in our hearts. He wants to prune some things. He wants to cultivate some things. So I'm just warning you, I'm just giving you advance notice. It might hurt a little. It might dig deep, but I promise you the fruit that will, will, will be born out of it, mm, so much sweeter and better than we, we could ever have imagined. Tend to the roots so that we can bear spirit-filled fruit and freedom. I want to check out uh, a verse, and this is kind of our springboard for, uh, for this morning and for several weeks, but it's Galatians 5.1. I love the book of Galatians. And, um, and the Apostle Paul is... is chatting here, he's talking here, and he says this, I got this out of the Passion Translation, and so it might be a little bit different than a few of the translations you have, but says this, let me be clear, the Anointed One has set us free, not what? Partially, but what? Completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly, I love that word, stubbornly refuse. In the hands of the Lord, stubbornness can actually, not, it can be a decent thing, right? And stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. I love that. He has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. When you, when you read that, and when I say those things, and we say not partially, but completely, and you look at the truth of God's word, and you think about your own life, you think, where is the disconnect? Why do I read that, but yet I don't see it always in my own life? The reality is that, for me, it took me till I was almost 35 years old to experience the reality of this verse. And for context, I'll be 39 in a few weeks, so I'm approaching the 40 mark. It's good times. I'm okay with it. I really am. Maybe. Maybe. But I genuinely gave my life to Jesus at about 13. I, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I've told you little bits and pieces of my story in, in different sermons. But, you know, at 13, I, I really felt like this faith had to, had to be my own. I was kind of living under the, the premise of my parents' faith and thought, well, they're pastors. Surely I'm good with God, <laughs> right? But at 13, I, I said, no, the, the, something ain't right about that. And so I finally submitted my life to the Lord. And I really, genuinely, wholeheartedly believed that my eternity was sealed I, I haven't really struggled with my 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 eternity i really haven't much but but where i have not seen the fullness of that freedom the fullness of the victory was in my my day-to-day walk where i had not experienced it up until i was about 35 was in my day-to-day walk yeah i love jesus i wanted to follow jesus i was in ministry i was a pastor right you think the pastor should have it all together well you're wrong but you should think they should But I really love Jesus and I want to follow him, but I I was held captive to other things. A big one for me was I was captive to the approval of others, to their applause or their criticism. Their applause or criticism either made my day or broke my day. I was captive to pride. I was captive to worry. I was anxious about failure or success, whether it would look good or look bad. And it was about 35 when I reached a place of desperation. I've shared a little bit of this, but I was kind of in a wilderness moment. I, I'd gotten out of ministry for a couple years. I was wandering through the desert, and it was the best season of my life on the backside of it, right? Because I finally reached a place of desperation. And when I finally confessed those things to the Lord, he exposed some things. And this is what he exposed. He, he showed me that the root issue was a spirit of comparison and insecurity in my heart. And when, when he revealed that to me, it made sense that the fruit that was being produced was me trying to live for the approval of others. Compare, a spirit of comparison in your life will make you produce fruit trying to live for others. Their applause, their approval, their trying not to get criticism, right? All those things. And so I asked God at 35 to, to, to break this spirit off my life, and guess what? I have a pretty faithful God. And at 35, you you know what God did? I believe in that moment that he broke that spirit of comparison off my life, and what he did was replace it with, with his life. He replaced it with a spirit of confidence, a spirit of acceptance that I am a son of God, no longer a slave, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Finally, the verses that I had read as a kid over and over and over It was like unlocking new spiritual vision. And it became a reality. And you know how freeing it is not to live for the approval of others? Man, I am a different person at 39. And I don't take credit for that. The Lord freed me. I can only assume that there are others in this room who are feeling held captive to such things. Maybe it's approval of others, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, maybe what you feel in the break. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's pride, maybe it's worry. But this is why Jesus came. I've said it before in here, and I'll say it again. And this this is so important, friends. Jesus sets us free not just from those things, those strongholds, but he actually sets us free to something, rather, someone, himself. That's key. True freedom not only starts in the heart, but it stays connected to the source of that true freedom. Jesus didn't just come and say, well, here's a lot of stuff, here's a lot of blessing, and I'll see you later in a few thousand years whenever I come back. And He said, here's the blessing of freedom. Here's the reality, the truth of freedom, and I will walk this out with you. The incarnation of Christ, God coming and dwelling with his people, a broken world who didn't deserve it, that my friends, is beautiful. That's the God we serve. He doesn't sit far off waiting for us to get it right. He says, no, I'll come and I'll move in your neighborhood. I'll move into your heart. I'll move into the soil. We'll cultivate this thing. But it's gonna take a journey. It's gonna take a lifetime. You ready for that? Check out the story in, uh, in, in Luke chapter four. And this is, again, from the Passion Translation. It'll be up on the screens as well. It says this, then Jesus... Armed with the Holy Spirit's power, I love that. Armed, like he's, he's locked and loaded, man. He's ready to go, you know what I'm saying? He's like the Chuck Norris of, okay, I digress. <laughs> then Jesus, armed with the Holy Spirit's power, returned to Galilee, and his fame spread throughout the region. He taught in the synagogues, and they glorified him, other translations, and they praised him. When he came to Nazareth, which is where he had been raised, which is where he was from, he went into the synagogue as he always did on the Sabbath day. And when Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, I don't know if they knew it exactly what was about to happen, but the Lord orchestrates things behind the scenes that we are unaware of. But they handed him this exact scroll. He unrolled the scroll, and he read where it is written. This comes from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, And he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. After he read this, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the minister, and he sat down. I love this part. Everyone stared at Jesus. What's he going to? what do you think he'll say? And this is what he says. These scriptures came true today in front of you. Mic drop, right? Like that's like the greatest mic drop of all history. They hand him a scroll, which those exact words had been written 700 years before he came. He stands in front of them, reads words about himself, declaring his ministry and his life and his intent, and he says, here you go. Bam, these came true today in front of you. Maybe a little more humble than that, but i like to add a little emphasis, right? I challenge you to read Isaiah 61 sometime in the next few days. It's powerful, man. Jesus is the source. His life and ministry provides the ultimate soil, the ultimate form of cultivation for our roots to grow in. Man, it's so good. And as I was reading this, a few things kind of rose to the surface. And that's why I, I, I love Scripture. That's why I believe the Scripture is living and active, as the, as the Scripture says. Because I believe that whenever I come to it in faith, and I just say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? I really believe that when we ask, what we receive, when we seek, we find, when we knock, the door will be opened. And same thing with Scripture. When we open the Scripture and we read it again, maybe you've read it 100 times, the Lord's like, i got a little something for you today. i got a little gift. There's a little bit more for you. He's so good like that. And so as I was reading this, the Lord highlighted a few areas, um, a couple that were kind of new to my eyes. But first, look at the verb usage in, in verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, I have come to what? Be. I have come to be hope for the poor. I have come to be freedom for the brokenhearted, to be new eyes for the blind, and to declare you are set free. I love that. Jesus came to be for us. Came to be our hope, be our freedom, be our news. He, he wasn't just dropping something off and saying, "Again, I'll come back in a couple thousand years. Hopefully, you do well with it." But he says, "No, I am going to be that for you." When when I think of uh, this this verbiage to be, it has this image in my mind of a foundation. Like you're like, oh, there's the foundation. Then you build upon the foundation, right? Like we're not just adding Jesus to our lives, we're building our lives upon him, and there's a big difference. And so I want to ask a question, and this, this gets to the heart of the matter, this gets to the root, and so I really hope by faith that the Spirit will just will, will move into your own heart, wh- whatever you're dealing with, whatever is going on in there. He, he, he will, I promise you that, if you do it by faith. But I want to ask this question. Are you surrendered to Jesus in the sense that his very being in your life sets you on a new foundation? Or is Jesus just another hopeful savior in the midst of other idle saviors in your life? Well, I hope he'll come through. But if he doesn't, I got some others on the back burner. I think every human longs for freedom deep in their hearts. I I really do. I think it was built into our, our DNA when we were created in the image of God, that we would depend on him. Now, we try to fill that with other things, right? I mean, I don't probably have to go on preaching about that this morning. We fill it with other things other than him, hoping that we'll find freedom. And so many run to other relationships, idle saviors. Many run to alcohol or drug addiction. It's an idle savior. Others might run to busyness. It's an idle savior. And even some run to Christianity as a religion. And I will tell you, that's not your freedom. The person of Jesus is your freedom. Several of those things might give you a temporary feeling of relief, but none will be freedom in your life. He's the foundation alone. Are there idle saviors in your life? Take a moment, just chew on that. Are there idol saviors in your life vying for the throne of your heart? Those idols will certainly strangle the root, the heart, and produce unhealthy fruit, I promise you. So first, Christ came to be freedom, to be hope. Second thing that kind of pops out in this this verse is this little phrase that Jesus uses at the end of verse 19. Now, again, I've read this, this, this scripture numerous times, but for whatever reason, this just grabbed me. Anybody remember the song, Days of Elijah? Okay, I was a youth group kid, so I apologize. I got a lot of old school songs. And anyway, there was this, there was this uh, I think it was in the chorus, but it says, um, behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. But it, but it goes on to say, to declare the year of Jubilee. And I always thought, well, that's fun. Jubilee's a nice word. By the way, does anybody ever use Jubilee in your everyday language? It's probably not a word you use. I want to challenge you. Try this. At your, at your water cooler at work, try to slip in the word Jubilee somewhere. I'm just curious, and then come and tell me about it. That, that has nothing to do with it, but I think it would be fun. But anyway, he says this little thing at the end of verse 19. He says, I have come to share the message of Jubilee. Other translations say, I have come to declare the year of Jubilee. And so um, I, I checked this out because I really, it, the Lord captured it in, 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 to my attention. He gave it, brought it to my attention this week as, as I was reading the scripture. And so I thought, there's got to be something to this. And so I went to some commentaries, a couple of them. And, and lo and behold, there's something to it. And so you're going to have to bear with me because there's a little technical terms here in the beginning, but then, but then we'll get there. This, this is what this, this means. The word jubilee literally means ram's horn in Hebrew. And it is defined in Leviticus 25.9 as the sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years. So 49 years. Are you tracking with me so far? Seven times seven 49, so it's the year after 49 years, it's the 50th year, okay? So this was to happen every 50 years, once every 50 years. So basically once in your lifetime, you would experience a year of jubilee. The 50th year was to be a time of celebration and rejoicing for the Israelites. The ram's horn was blown on the 10th day of the 7th month to start the 50th year of of universal redemption. So check this out. This is good stuff. This, this is why I love scripture. You read the Old Testament, you're like, what in the world is going on? But it points to Jesus. It's so good. But this this is what the, the year of Jubilee meant. This is what the Israelites would do. The year of Jubilee involved a year of release from indebtedness and all types of bondage. All prisoners and captives were to be set free all slaves were released, all debts were forgiven, and all property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labor was to cease for one year, and those bound by labor contracts were released from those contracts. One of the benefits of the Jubilee was that both the land and the people would find rest. They were to experience rest and renewal. You see where this is pointing to? It's a beautiful prophetic declaration of the life and ministry of Jesus. His redemptive nature and what He does and who He is. Forgiveness that's extended. Jesus came to set free all of us, all of us, all of us who were slaves and prisoners to sin. The debt of sin that we owed to God was paid on the cross. We are forgiven that debt forever. We are forgiven. Does that Man, the weight of that, we are forgiven that debt forever. We are no longer in bondage, no longer slaves to sin. And now there is true rest in God as we cease laboring to make ourselves acceptable to God by our own works. It's been given to you. Church, I declare just as Jesus declared in Isaiah 61, the year of jubilee is now. And what I love is that it's no longer celebrated just once every 50 years. You don't have to wait once in your lifetime and hope that you see it. Yes. Like it is a 24-7 reality. Yes. So the year of Ju- This is why I believe strongholds literally can be broken off of people's lives. And you can say, well, give me the hardest person and I will, I will pray that spiritual strongholds will be broken off. And I will believe by faith yeah. that it can be and it will be. You know, I, I was writing this sermon um, earlier this week, and I, I, I'll be honest, I struggled with this one, and I don't, I don't particularly know why. Usually, I'm a Tuesday sermon kind of writer, right? I like to write it on Tuesday, let it simmer a little, sit in it, you know, and just kind of, well, I'll tweak some things here and there, and so, you know, I, I did probably four or five sermons-ish on this, and so I finally get home on Thursday night, and I'm like, okay, babe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you. Usually, I share it with her, and she's like, hey, that area, that, that didn't quite make sense, and so she'll help me, Usually she's pretty graceful, though. This time, this time she, I read it to her, and she's just kind of like, mm, no, that's not it. I was like, "Ah!" Oh, I spent like two days. I wasn't really solid on it, but I, I spent two days. I was going to trust that God was going to do something with it, but she's like, eh, I don't know. She's like, I'll go to Baal, see you in the morning. I'm like, well, really? You're going to leave me with that? Now I have to find out what to do here. And so, man, I was kind of bummed because I'm like, I'm getting an anxious heart. I don't really know what's going on. I'm worried. I'm like, oh, I got to stand up in front of you people and and deliver a message and you know, pray that it's from the Lord. And this was not it. And so I was I was sitting in the shower. Uh, I wasn't sitting. I was standing. That's kind of awkward. <laughs> standing in the shower. And that night, um, it's like 11 o'clock, and I worked on it some more. And I'm like, oh Lord Jesus, help me. This is not. This is not. I do not feel faith for this. And so. Um, I just I just heard the little words from the Lord. He says, "Wait on me," and he said, "Trust in me." I was like, "No, oh, but Lord, He's wait on me and trust in me. Wait on me and trust in me." I think the Lord, what He was saying is, Ryan, this is the year of Jubilee, my friend. I want to reveal it to you just as much as you're going to preach about it. So if I need to capture your anxious heart again while you're standing in a shower, then I will do so. <laughs> I love the fact that in the year of Jubilee, there is this rest, there is this renewal, an intentional rest and renewal. And what it reminds me is, is that we are free from the curse of sin and eternal death that we've tried to work for and, and, and tried, to, tried to break, but we never could in our own ways, in our own doings. We just rest in the fact that Christ did it for us. A rest that is not dependent upon better circumstances or higher bank accounts or swankier titles or bigger houses or you fill in the blank. He is the only source of it. Right. Lastly, I love what Jesus says, and we've kind of already alluded to it, but this, like, this is the biggest mic drop of all time, and I would have loved to have been there as they're staring at Jesus waiting. What's he gonna say? And he's like, these scriptures that I have read have been fulfilled in front of you today. They are true in front of you today. And I read that, and I believe that the Lord highlighted that for me, because he wants me to to declare it in front of you again. And he says, these scriptures that you hold dear to, they're not just words on a page. They're not just words on a page, friends. They are true today as they were 2,000 years ago when Jesus declared it. It's an invitation to respond. The hearers of this message in Luke chapter 4, some of them began to think, well, that's, that's odd. Weren't you the carpenter's son? And they kind of begin to make excuses for why they wouldn't want to follow Jesus. Well, you're a carpenter's son. You're, how can you be of anything? And I think that, that the enemy wants to plant those seeds of doubt. Well, I'm not so sure, Jesus. Ah, do you know that person? They're not really the easiest to deal with, so I mean... Or do you know my relationship? It's so strained that there's no way. No way. I think Jesus is inviting us to respond to that declaration. These scriptures, this word, his life, his ministry, is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. So I, I want to finish up. Pastor Matt's going to come up, and he's going to kind of play in the background. And I... Sometimes when we do responses, it's easier just to try to, it's easy to try to manipulate emotions, right? Like we get in a sappy little moment and and I'm okay, like just with a God of emotions because he created emotions. But I want to appeal to the heart. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth will speak to our hearts. Amen? That these words, not of mine, But of the Lord, that his word will not land on deaf ears, deaf hearts. And so I want to, I want to, by faith, I want to just, I want to offer a few questions that you might ponder and consider as we close, as we close this morning. And then we're going to sit for about three to four minutes. And for some of you, you're thinking, oh, three or four minutes of not talking. That is awkward, right? It's actually a beautiful thing. Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. So we're going to sit, we're going to wait. We're going to trust that the Holy Spirit wants to speak and will speak. So I want to throw these questions out to you to consider with the Holy Spirit. This morning, what would you say is the condition of your heart? What's the root look like? Is it planted in good soil? Is it being strangled by strongholds, by other idols? Or do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to break off a stronghold in your life in the name of Jesus? Are there idle saviors in your life vying for the throne of your heart? Those will never be freedom in your life. A temporary feeling of relief, maybe. True freedom? No. And then, third, I believe that there are some in this room who who need to receive the message of Jubilee Your debts have been paid, your sin is forgiven. You are no longer held captive to sin, you are an overcomer in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can rest in the promises of God. They are true today as they were 2,000 years ago. The year of Jubilee, my friends, is now. However the Spirit desires to challenge you, I, just, I want to take a moment. I want to sit before the Lord. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just so... I have so much faith that God is who He says He is, and that I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit, that He is going to speak Will you you go there with me? Will you by faith say, Holy Spirit, speak. I'm listening. And sit and wait. And if something comes into mind to say, hey, remember, you got to do this at 4 o'clock today, say, nope, I I know I got that. But Jesus, what do you want to say? Whatever distraction tries to come your way, you say, Jesus, not now. In the name of Jesus, not now. In the name of Jesus, not now. Jesus, what do you have? Ask, seek, knock. I'm going to pray for us. And the knees are going to be up here. And just sit with the Lord for a few minutes. God, we just thank you. We thank you for being you. You're God who's worthy to be praised. You're God who's worthy to go and ask and seek and knock. And you're faithful to your promise that we will receive, that we will find, that the door will be open to us. So God, we we don't just come for a bunch of blessing, although we know you love to do that because you're a good father but Lord, we've come because you are the source. You're you're it, Jesus. We haven't just come for the blessings, we've come for the benefactor, the person who is Jesus. So God, whatever you want to do in our hearts, they're open, they're yours. We sit and we wait, and we trust that you're going to speak. Just take a few minutes, ask the Lord. I feel like the Lord wants to do away with some strongholds this morning. And so I'm going to ask that if you're dealing with a stronghold of any kind, that you just might confess that. You can raise your hand, you can stand. There is no judgment, friends. I sat with a stronghold of comparison in my life for years, of pride and of worry. It was a stronghold. And so if you would be so courageous to say, Lord, I confess, brothers and sisters, I need your prayers. You raise your hand, you can stand. Amen. I know the Lord sees I sees every hand, He sees every heart. It's just this is a, a moment to say, Lord, I surrender. I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, I, I just pray in your authority, in your name, in your power, in your victory, in your freedom that strongholds would be broken in the name of Jesus. That pride, that lust, that, that addiction, that comparison, that seeking the approval of others, that worry, that doubt, that pornography, that whatever it is, God, it would be broken in the mighty name of Jesus. We believe you are who you say you are. We receive your ministry. What you said in Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, we receive it that you are our freedom, you are our victory. Lord, help us us to focus on the roots, to cultivate the heart through the power of your spirit. Help us to soak in your word, the truth, that we are more than overcomers, that we are victors, and that healthy fruit would be produced as a result. I'm praying for my friends. I'm seeking you out, Jesus, interceding on their behalf, declaring you are who you say you are and we will receive what you say we can receive. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.